0: Grace to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for our meditation this morning is our gospel lesson, recorded for us in the gospel of St. John, the 18th chapter, beginning at the 33rd verse. Pilate went back into the praetorium and summoned Jesus. He asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, "'Am I a Jew? "'Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. "'What have you done?' "'Jesus replied, "'My kingdom is not of this world. "'If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight "'so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. "'But now my kingdom is not from here.' "'You are a king, then,' Pilate asked. "'Jesus answered, "'I am, as you say, a king,' For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Dear fellow redeemed, Could there have been a greater contrast between the two men in our text for today? On the one hand, you have Pilate, who is the governor of Judea, who at his beck and call, he has hundreds of Roman soldiers ready to carry out whatever he commands. And on the other hand, you have Jesus of Nazareth, a lowly Jewish commoner who's been arrested by his own people, bloodied and bruised, and he now stands at Pilate's mercy. And yet it's that one who claims to be a king. It almost seemed laughable to Pilate. It didn't make any sense. Yet God invites us today to see the truth, to recognize Jesus as king. To recognize that Jesus is the one who ultimately has a kingdom not of this world. And to recognize that Jesus is the one who comes to proclaim The truth. Now we can't really fault Pilate for what he thought about Jesus. After all, the evidence seemed to point in that direction that Jesus really was not much of a king. After all, his own people had handed him over to Pilate. What sort of king would that be? one whose people didn't want to listen to him and follow his commands, but instead opposed him and brought him to a different authority. But Jesus would have Pilate weigh the evidence carefully. He makes the point that if he was a king whose kingdom would be earthly, wouldn't he have servants who would stand up and fight for him? And isn't this, in fact, evidence what Jesus proclaims, that his kingdom is not of this world. Sometimes I wonder if we ourselves, as Christians today, forget that about Jesus, that his kingdom is not of this world. Maybe we ourselves don't consider the evidence for this truth either. How many times have we gotten angry with God because We don't think that he is doing what he's supposed to be doing. Maybe angry with God because we see that the wicked prosper and we ourselves seem to suffer in so many ways. Angry at him that he isn't intervening in our own life, maybe to solve a problem concerning our health or wealth or prosperity because we don't think that it's supposed to be that way. God's on our side and he's in control, so shouldn't he make everything easy for us in this life and in this world? But Jesus speaks the truth to us. He reminds us, my kingdom is not of this world. Still, though, it doesn't make much sense. Even if Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, wouldn't he still fight in self-defense of himself or of his people? Maybe you can imagine an alien species coming down in a spaceship from the sky. As They come down to earth and maybe the humans want to attack them and destroy them because they're concerned about that threat. Would the alien species fight to defend itself, lest it be destroyed or annihilated? So why isn't Jesus fighting? Why isn't fighting for his own protection and for the protection of the rest of his kingdom. He says the king, his kingdom is not of this world. Really, what he's getting at is that his kingdom is not only just not from here, but it's a different sort of kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. I want you to think about this this morning. What sort of things do earthly kings and kingdoms fight for and fight to defend? Isn't it often land and property and towns and cities and states? Isn't it also the people in those areas as well? Maybe even the way of life. All of those things are defended by earthly powers, authorities, kings, right? But what if there was a king in a kingdom that didn't have to worry about the threat of destruction or of death? Doesn't that describe Jesus in his, his kingdom? But Jesus doesn't need to worry about even the threat of death because he knows he has the power over death itself for himself and for the members of his kingdom as well. He isn't concerned about those things because he knows he has power over them. But he's concerned with something greater, a greater threat to mankind, a threat not to their bodies, but to their souls. He knows the greatest threat that each and every one of us face is eternal damnation in hell forever. He knows that even if we die in this life, in this world, he can raise our bodies, but he's especially concerned for our souls. He wants to ensure that we don't spend eternity in hell. And so he comes with a kingdom not of this world, coming to proclaim truth. It's interesting to note Jesus' actions in our lesson for today, isn't it? You'd think someone in this sort of situation would want to defend himself, want to defend his innocence and, and protect himself from death and crucifixion because he didn't deserve that. We don't see Jesus doing any of that. Instead, what is he doing? It seems that he's trying to convert Pilate, almost. He's concerned for Pilate's soul. As he wonders, Pilate, did you come up with this idea that I'm a king of the Jews, or did somebody else tell you this? Wondering if maybe Pilate himself is asking Jesus if he is a king and wanting Jesus to be that king. Jesus wants Pilate, and he wants all people to know the truth. The truth is something that seems rather elusive nowadays, doesn't it? Especially as people speak about my truth or your truth. Especially in this world where there is so much fake news and gas lighting. We know that tech corporations are able to control what we view even in search engines and so forth. It can get us, make us really skeptical concerning whether or not one can actually ever know the truth or if we're just simply being manipulated all the time. But Jesus comes to tell us not a personal opinion, but he comes to speak the truth to us, the truth that's found especially in his word. When Jesus came to this world, as he proclaimed his word to many people, Part of the truth that he wanted them to know was the seriousness of their situation and the seriousness of their sin and what God really demands of them. You know, so often when it comes to God's commands, we can have the similar attitude to that young man that came to Jesus that day and wondered what must he do to inherit eternal life. And we too can list the commandments before God, say that we've done all of those, or at least we've tried our hardest to do them. But Jesus himself reminds us of the expectation of God. It isn't just try your hardest or do your best, but it's be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the true demand of God. We often want to think that We're doing okay when it comes to God's commands, especially when we hear the rich young ruler summarize God's commands when he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we want to say, I've done those things, or at least I've tried. But not according to the letter of the law. We haven't done those things perfectly the way that God demands And so often our hearts are in a different place, aren't they? Not loving the Lord with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, with all our strength. But instead loving the things of this life and this world. Maybe loving our our own health and our wealth and our own prosperity and well-being. Maybe even loving our own families more than God. God's word condemns us. It reveals to us that we have not done what God's word commands of us. But Jesus didn't come merely to bring the truth of the law and its consequences to us. He also came to bring the truth about himself as Savior. In John chapter 8, Jesus speaks to the Jews who believed in him, and he says this, "'If you remain in my word, you are really my disciples.'" And you will also know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in secular culture, the truth will set you free. And how many times it seems that it is misused. One way that it's misused is people often say it's true, the, the truth will set you free. So just be honest about yourself. Be honest about your sins and your mistakes. Come clean. It's freeing to do so. And to some degree, it is. It is relieving, isn't it? To be honest about the bad things that you've done, to be truthful concerning your faults and failures so that you don't have to live a lie. There is some relief in that, isn't it? Isn't there? But the freedom that God gives is far greater. Consider the murderer who is weighed down with the guilt of his crime because he hasn't been found out yet, and so he comes clean, he confesses his crime. Just because he confesses his crime and maybe feels a little bit of relief in his conscience doesn't mean that the judge isn't going to prosecute him. doesn't mean that he isn't going to be required to make payment and satisfaction for the crime that he committed by serving time in jail. But the freedom that Jesus comes to bring for us is not just a temporary relief of conscience, it's eternal one. It's a relief forever from our guilt, not just from our guilt, but also from its consequences forever. In fact, this is the reason why Jesus is before Pilate today. As Jesus is walking along that path, ultimately... To the cross. Jesus came down from heaven, from a place not of this world, to be born and to live among us, that he might live a holy and perfect life the way that God demands, but not so that he can say, Ha, look at me, I did it and you didn't, but so that he could live that life perfectly in our place according to every bit of God's law that is done perfectly in him for you and for me. And so that he could offer that life as a sacrifice for our sins, that punishment could be made through him. As he suffers that innocent death on the cross, as his blood was shed, really the punishment of hell for the entire world was suffered by Christ, so that all who believe in him could have life, so that he can give us true rescue. True rescue from eternal punishment. Napoleon Bonaparte, at the end of his life when he was exiled to the island of St. Helen, said this You speak of empires and power. Well, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. But in what did we found them? Force. Christ founded his on love, and at this moment there are millions ready to die for him. I see no army, no banner, or battering ram, yet a mysterious power is there, working in the interest of Christianity. Men secretly sustained here and there by a common faith in the great unseen. I die before my time, and my body will be given to the earth as food for worms, such as the fate of him called Napoleon the Great. But look to Christ honored and loved in every land. Look at his kingdom, rising over all other kingdoms, his life, not the life of a man, his death, not that of a man, but of God. And we might add that the God-man not only died, but also rose to life from the dead, defeating it forever. It is this one that we recognize as our true king, don't we? Is the one who has power over all things over death itself but especially has shown his power over eternal death and hell and is one for you and for me the victory forever as we consider those two men in our text how different they are Pilate and Jesus and yet consider them today whose name is remembered some do remember Pilate don't they But the only reason they remember Pilate is because of the other man in the room there with him, because of Jesus of Nazareth, the one who appeared so lowly, the one who was bloodied and beaten and bruised, the one who would soon go to the cross to suffer and die. They remember the name of the one who not only died but also rose from the dead and who rules forever and ever, the one whose kingdom is not of this world, the one who came to Speak the truth about our sin, but especially about our salvation that is found forever in him. Yes, recognize Jesus as King. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forevermore. Amen.